0: If you have a connection to languages, this is the podcast for you. Whether you're a language learner, a language teacher, language researcher, or anyone who's interested
1: in languages. I'm Dr. Marie-Josée Bisson. And I'm Dr. Caitlin Zavaleta. We are the language scientists, and this is our podcast. We're both senior lecturers in psychology at the Montford University, and we conduct research into the area of language learning. Throughout this series, we hope to translate the science behind language learning into informative and practical advice. So sit back and enjoy. So Caitlin, can you tell us before we jump into your topic for today, can you tell us a little bit about your language background?
0: I'm a native English speaker. I grew up in the Midwest in the United States of America, um, near the Chicago land area. Um, in fact, my first major exposure exposure to another language was French when Beauty and the Beast came out, and I love that Bonjour song. I love it uh, because it was the first time I realized that there you know there are other languages, and this was just mind blowing to me, like that there. Are all these people speaking other languages and they're having these same conversations? And to me, it just feels like I got to get in on that, basically. (laughs) I need to to know what they're talking about.
1: So because you took um, French as a university subject, I don't really know that much about that. So can you tell us a little bit about what kind of stuff would you do as a French major?
0: Yeah, so I tested out of some of the early year stuff because I'd taken like basically the first couple of years. Um, But then it was heavy on grammar. And then we did a lot of classes that were about the culture, but it was exposure to the language through it. So my favorite were in the last couple of years of, so I switched from the French major to a French minor, but it was all the same courses. Um, But a lot about French history and French culture and the arts and literature and for me, I'm a history nerd, so I really enjoyed all that. Um, and how else would you learn the word for sword? <laughs> in in a, a text, you have to to read, you know, older literature to really, you don't use sword today is quite as often. So a lot of courses like that. Um, I took a phonology course, which was actually really interesting, and I, probably the most useful, in my opinion, because we really practiced what the sounds sounded like, how they're written, and how that actually translates to the way you produce the sound, which is very different from what we're used to as native English speakers.
1: And I think most of us, if not all, were native English speakers. Okay. So what's happened after that? So that was your undergraduate degree?
0: Yeah, that was undergrad. So uh, I don't have a lot of French speakers (laughs) in my life. So my French has really gotten rusty. Um, The language that has tried to sneak in the door of my mind essentially has been Spanish because my husband is a bilingual English Spanish speaker from birth. So completely, mostly balanced as as you can me. Um, So we try to speak Spanish here and there around the house just to expose our children to it. And here's the plug for my research. Whenever I try to speak in Spanish, so my comprehension for Spanish is, I think, pretty good. At least, because I, I can listen to the in-laws' conversations and all that. Um, but my production comes out in French. Doesn't matter. It's French is what I get. <laughs> <laughs> you put Spanish in, and you get French out. You
1: get French out. Okay.
0: And this, so I've had a few other languages I've, I've been exposed to uh, because I was linguistics major. We had to study a non-Western, so I studied Arabic for a year, and that was fantastic. How did you get to become a language researcher? I followed this path. So really language is always understanding how people learn and speak languages was always just the interest for me. I just didn't know how to articulate that. So when I was un- in undergrad I um I, so I was a French minor linguistics major but I took a class in psycholinguistics. And ta-da. ta-da! And at the end of the class, the high-performing students were offered an opportunity to apply to be research assistants. And I just thought it was so cool that you present information on a screen, even like a sentence, or you present a word, and then people mess it up. <laughs> and then you look at those those issues, those errors, and it, it tells you about what the mind was doing when when it was, you know, processing this information. So my focus was always on language production and language production errors because i think that the errors are helpful to tell us about what we know and what goes wrong
1: so the research kind of infiltrated yes. your life um as you were an undergraduate students mm-hmm. and then you decided to do a master's or yes. Yeah, so i did a master's phd program
0: in psychology in the cognition and neural systems program at the University of Arizona, specifically chosen because there were lots of bilinguals there. So I really am, have always been interested in how a bilingual person organizes their languages and whether that's someone who is both of those languages, fully fluent, super balanced, um, or someone who, like me, has one language that's their their dominant language, but then they have other languages that are less dominant.
1: So how does how does that all work out? How does it all balance? Okay, and now you... And I'm here now. ...doing your language research into Uh speech errors. And this is the topic for the podcast today. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
0: The thing to focus on first is that a speech error that I look at is part of language production. And this is the opposite of language comprehension. So when you have a language, you kind of have these two different processes, I guess you could kind of say... Um, The way you comprehend the language, so if someone is saying something in a specific language, what you understand and what you make sense of, um, that's your language comprehension. Now, when you want to say something in a different language or in any language, really, that's your language production. That could be you writing, writing a note out. It could be you speaking something. It could be you typing something. All of these are different ways that we produce language. And the way we comprehend language and the way we produce language follows different orders. It's almost like a factory, right? Um, So when we produce a language, we have to plan what we want to say, which means that we have to go into our mind and we have to activate the thing that we want to say, activate the concept, and then we activate the specific word we want to use. So if I am thinking of my pet who is in my home, who is always walking in front of my computer... I am thinking of the furry creature with four legs and a tail that purrs. I know the one. I know the you one. You know the one. So I'm not going to say dog, likely, but I might. And that's kind of an example of a speech error. So basically a speech error is you started to go down this process of saying a word and you were doing great. And then something happened. Now, the thing that happened might be you accidentally activated a related word so dog instead of cat, um, or something that just sounds the same. So I guess you could say cup instead of cat, or cap. maybe cap. Yes, that would be a good one. <laughs> it's only one phoneme different and I missed it. Um, or you might say um, sha. Or that would be me uh, you would, the wrong language. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You would switch into a different language, el gato. Could it be a combination of two, it, yeah, it half couldn't. the word comes out in French and yeah. half in Spanish or something? I think it could. Um, I think you'd have to be really fluent for that,
0: but that would be beautiful. Yeah, so I've, I've done the blend before, which is a, a rule you can do, you can follow. Um, I've said plattern. I think that was the first feature that I really paid attention to because uh, I was trying to say planet and Saturn, and I said plattern
1: so all of this is happening obviously really quickly though i mean we're we're trying quickly when you're explaining you break it down a lot for us but i mean it's happening to say something and saying it happens almost at the same time doesn't it right and as you're saying that
0: whole sentence that complicated sentence you're planning part of it and then you plan the rest of it as you go and that's what i did (laughs) here and am doing so language is something that's ongoing It's something that's happening very fast which is why it's so hard to study speech errors and language production errors, because you're doing it at such a speed and because there's so many factors that can happen. But, you know, generally, we're actually pretty good at it. Yeah. So, I mean, speech errors, are are they really common or how how common are they? I mean, they're in common in that we are more likely to be correct in the way we speak. Which is a good thing. (laughs) We're (laughs) happy about that. Thank goodness. There are days, though. And that's actually the point is that when you're stressed, when you're tired, these speech errors come through a lot more. So um, especially if you're frazzled, think about if you're calling someone by the wrong name. So I call one child by the other name most of the time (laughs) because you've got multiple small children around there trying to get your attention. Um, And you're probably doing a million other things at the same time. Exactly. Your attention is diverted and you're probably activating multiple concepts. I've called my Uh, eldest child by the cat's name because they're similar sounds. (laughs) So so lots of things happen. So how do you study that in the lab then? Oh, it's complicated. We have to confuse people. Um, My most successful generation of speech errors is when we have people switching back and forth between languages. So in my research, it's about people who have fluency in multiple languages. So... I'm usually trying to confuse them, to try to throw them off their access a little bit, um, just to see what the default path is. So with my research, it's a lot of, you're a native English speaker, right? And then I, I know that you have studied French before, and now I'm teaching you Spanish. So I'm having you switch between English and your new language, Spanish, but I'm hoping that French is going to come through. So it's a lot about switching between the different languages. And if words are more related to that second language, so if the new language is related to what you already know, um, then you're more likely to switch because your brain is just trying to find those patterns and trying to get through as quickly as possible.
1: So is there an example you could give us of a word that's kind of similar maybe in French and Spanish that people mm. will could potentially make an error with?
0: I would say... Uh, what's a good... So cognates are a good example. Okay, what are cognates um, for our listeners? Yeah, so cognates are words that are related to each other, um, either I mean, their sound and their meaning would be related. Let's see, I'm trying to think of a good one now. Um, Sol and Soleil? Yeah, you could probably do that, because it's... Both of them mean sun, for those of our listeners who... <laughs> might <laughs> then speak both of those languages. Um, Sol and Soleil. Um, so Sol is the Spanish for sun. For and sun. Soleil and is the French for, French for sun. Or book, although it's not a cognate with English between French and Spanish.
1: Uh, livre and libro. So are, but, there, are there languages that have more cognates basically?
0: Yes, yeah, languages that have more. Um, also, one the study that I'm doing right now is I'm presenting a determiner. So like L, the word L or la which tells the gender of a term in certain languages, right? I'm presenting some that have a kind of a crossover, so the same determiner in both languages, and some that don't have the same determiner. Oh my God, this is so confusing. I know, it sounds horrible, and I my apologies to my <laughs> participants. <laughs> so they come to the lab, they don't know what's going to happen, do they? They know they're going to be learning a language. They know they're going to be learning words from a new language, and they know that they either should have had experience in a certain language or not had experience in a certain language, and that's all they know.
1: Yeah, so you try, and then you try to induce some of these speech yes. errors by playing with the determiner. So la mm-hmm. is in Spanish yes. the same as the determiner in French. In so French, it, yeah. For feminine things, mm-hmm. but in but not the masculine one. Correct. Okay, um, and so people do make some of these mistakes, and then, so what do you do? How do you measure their mistakes basically. So essentially
0: I teach them the new words and then I test them on whether they've learned it really well by doing a comprehension study so when I teach it to them I show a picture I show the word or words underneath it and then when they're tested the first time they see a picture and they have to say whether those are the right or wrong words so it's a comprehension measure there and then they do a production study so they see the picture and they have to say what it is. Typically, it's saying it, but the last study was during COVID, so it was typed. Um, so we'll see how that compares to spoken errors, which I think would be interesting to look oh, yeah, at. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. Typos versus
1: um, type speech errors and how fast you're trying to go. So then you would present them, say, with a picture of the sun, and then they'd have to say the Spanish. Mm-hmm. El Sol? Yes. Very good. Thank you. I had to dig deep for the time here. Um, so El Sol, but because they already know French, they might say El Soleil, El Soleil. or exactly. Le Soleil or exactly. something similar to
0: that. And that's why I like to study at the phrase level rather than just like a single word, because it tells us about kind of where these errors are occurring. Because when you produce speech, it, you don't just produce a single word. No. Right. You have more going on. And certain words are more likely to have these unintentional switches.
1: Okay, and then you look at those um, errors, and what can they tell us? So they tell us about how we learn language and how we process
0: language. Um, So if you are only learning the determiners, or you're only learning the noun, so let's say you're just learning the word soul, and you didn't even bother with determiner. Maybe that tells us that you are relying on your previous language learning experience for the determiner level, because you're encoding it onto your idea of what a son is and whether it's masculine or feminine. And maybe that takes longer to update. So this tells us more about multilingual speakers. And it tells us more about people who have lower levels of proficiency in their multiple languages, which is something that isn't really well studied in the field. So with science, I think we're all kind of control freaks. (laughs) We want to constrain as much as possible so that we can say, this is probably due to this, right? But it's very difficult to do that and to build that situation up when people speak multiple languages. So as a field, we've started with fully fluent, fully balanced bilinguals who are in bilingual environments. And we've learned more about that. And that was only after so much research in monolingual English speakers. So this tries to understand a little bit more about people who are multilingual speakers who may or may not have different levels of proficiency and how that different proficiency might play a role in learning subsequent languages
1: and how one your knowledge in one language impacts the acquisition of another language yes. and how things all get muddled up in your brain and yeah how things are stored i guess essentially yeah yeah really interesting Thanks for talking to us about speech errors. Of course, I'm happy to. This is something I really always hate. And, you know, (laughs) through my life as a language learner, um, (laughs) I've always hated making speech errors. I totally hate it because I always feel embarrassed about it. What's your take on that? I love speech errors. I really do
0: love them. I revel in them. I think that speech errors tell you a lot about what should have happened rather than like, oh, cool, everything worked out. It's a lot like a maths problem in my opinion it tells you about what you know at that situation it tells you what was happening in the factory of your mind as it were in producing this information and making sense of your mind that when you get it right it's just kind of like a gold star and you're like great that was fantastic but it didn't tell us anything it just showed us what happens when everything goes right
1: yeah So we should all enjoy our speech errors, basically.
0: Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, when I lecture, I'm always really excited when I make a speech error and I always have to pause for a moment like, oh, that was a really good one. And this is why.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. well, so what? So people should stop feeling embarrassed when they say the wrong word or and just maybe take a, a moment to think about why they said something else instead and how that tells us about how things are linked in their minds. And yes, Okay yeah feel good
0: about it feel good
1: about your speech errors <laughs> you were processing
0: a lot of information
1: true true and you give yourself really a bit hard. of credit you know exactly you, you, you know you, multiple languages when you right. make those absolutely but also sometimes as you mentioned we can make speech errors in our native language yes, yes, yes all yes, the absolutely. time absolutely i wanted to ask you you know to finish um this podcast do you have three tips three things you know three things you'd like people to remember about speech errors mm
0: three things. Okay, the first thing is everybody makes speech errors. Everybody does. Uh, When you're learning, when you're not learning. (laughs) I'm a fully fluent English native speaker, and I make speech errors probably at least once a day. So that's the first thing, everybody makes speech errors. The second is that making a speech error in a second or third language is still fantastic. So even if you're trying to say the word foot and you said hand in your second language I mean it shows that you have the connection that your brain has the two things associated it just misfired <laughs> uh what's the third thing the the ways different languages interact together is messy and it's complicated but that's a good thing so when you're learning a new language and you're making errors Don't feel bad about them. I guess these are all the same theme, like errors, speech errors are great, but that speech production is really difficult to kind of get started as you start learning a new language. So I know for me, I feel like I have to be perfect before I can speak at all.
1: I think a lot of people feel this way.
0: Yeah. And that's really just not something that is helpful It's better to just kind of go for broke and make the speech errors and learn from them rather than assume it has to be perfect. Because if you were going to just not make any errors, you you wouldn't even speak your
1: native language. No, absolutely. And, you know, to to become perfectly fluent in another language is almost pretty much impossible. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to listen and learn about speech errors with the language scientists. In our next episode, the last one for the series,
0: I'll be interviewing Dr. Inui Kukona from the University of Greenwich about using online
1: research methods for language learning. I just want to remind you to take five minutes to go in our show notes and click on the link for our survey. The survey will tell us what you liked about this series and what you'd like to hear about next. Thank you for listening and thank you to the British Academy for funding our podcast. I'm Dr. Caitlin Zavaleta. And I'm Dr. Marie-Josée Bisson. And you've been listening to the Language Scientists podcast.